Amen. Amen. Morning, church. Is there a different uh, air in here tonight, and this morning, in the sense of uh, lighter? I feel it. I feel it. Hope you do too. Um, a spirit of anticipation. And it's great to have you here with us, Ryan. It was great to have the choir up front, uh, and really everyone here is leading us in worship. How many of you here like airports? Anybody here like an airport? I, I love airports. How do you not, not like airports? I mean, airports are fun, right? I mean, airports mean you're going somewhere fun, or you're picking up someone who's hopefully going to be fun. <laughs> so airports are, are really, I love them. Anytime I'm headed in an Uber to an airport, I am just, I'm giddy. And it's probably the latte is a big part of it, too. But I want you to think about something with me for a minute. Suppose you're at LAX or wherever you fly in and out of. It could be John Wayne. Depends on the trip, I suppose. Suppose you're at LAX, you're at the baggage claim, and you're waiting to pick somebody up. And you're just sitting there, waiting for your friends to arrive, and you see something that happens quite a bit, and it's a, it's a man and a woman, they run up to each other and they embrace, right? When that happens, what do you think about? What's going on in your mind? I used to do that. Used to do that? Done. Yeah, we used to do that. It's, it's just a story that happens all the time. But now think about if you knew something more about that couple's story, how you might receive that scenario, right? So imagine this with me for a moment. Imagine that you know a little bit about their backstory. Imagine that this man and woman were brother and sister. She's been working in a hospital in Liberia, West Africa, for quite a few years with Ebola patients. And she discovers that her father has a brain tumor that's inoperable, only a few days to live. She's able to make the trek back home, and it's her brother at the airport picking her up. She has so many things she wants to tell her father in the few moments that they have left. That would change the way you receive that embrace, would it not? Or how about this? Imagine this. What if the two that embrace at LAX are lifelong friends from college? At different times, they've each dated each other's friends. They've never dated themselves. But then they moved to opposite ends of the country five years ago. And then totally, totally unexpectedly, a year ago, they began writing letters to each other. I mean, real letters like paper and pen. You know, what? With stamps and envelopes. And through the writing and exchange of these letters, a relationship has ensued. But they've both been burned. They're both very cautious in the past. They've been burned in the past. 
She was engaged, but her fiancé called off the wedding two weeks before the big day, and he discovered that his girlfriend of four years had secretly been seeing his roommate behind his back for two of those years, so they'd been burned. They wanted to go slow, and they decided together that they would just write for a year to see if this relationship would go anywhere. The year's now up, and they are connecting. And he has a diamond ring in his pocket that she does not know about. Now let's rewind this story even a little bit more. Let's suppose that you're there picking up your friends, your family, and you have a friend of yours with you and his name's Larry, not Larry Atherton. And Larry this whole time has been away at the restroom. And he comes back and he's a little bit agitated because the paper towels are out and the the hand dryer thing's not working and he's doing one of these things, right? And he sits down right next to you and he sees you watch this couple embrace and you know the backstory and Larry doesn't. What is going on in Larry's mind? He thinks you've lost it. People hug in the airports all the time, don't they? But this scene for you, because you know the more of the story, is electric to you. It's better than TV. You watch with different eyes. You're fully engaged. You're filled with deep anticipation as to what's going to happen next. You have more information than Larry does. And that's the point of starting this morning like this. You're missing something about the story that we're going to look at, something more, something deeper, a broader context, context, (laughs) the backstory, so to speak. Because the more we know about the more of what's going on in the Bible, the more the Bible really opens up to us in ways that we can live our faith more effectively as a disciple and follower of Jesus Christ in 2019. So we think we know the story of the Good Samaritan, right? I probably don't even need to read it. We've heard it how many times? So, I'm gonna, let's just do a little test. What's the point of the story of the Good Samaritan? Just anybody. Being neighborly, right? Being neighborly, loving our neighbor, loving anyone who is in need without condition, right? I want to challenge that this morning. I want to give us a broader context this morning. I want to give us the more of the more about the story that will help us dive deeper into the teachings of Jesus Christ. Because there's something more going on in this story than what we've been taught before. I think in order to understand the more of the something more that's going on, we have to look at two questions that are going on in here, in the story, and the, and this, the questions are very simple. The first question is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So let's pull up the text. I'm going to read a few of the verses uh, for that. On one occasion, an expert in the law, let's call him a lawyer, 
stood up to test Jesus. That's a key phrase, test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Not a bad question. Nothing wrong with that. Jesus replies with this. What is, with a question, what is written in the law? How do you read it? The lawyer says this. Well, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And you love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Well, let's hit the pause button right there. Seems like a pretty straightforward conversation so far, right? The lawyer who knows a lot about the law answers this series of questions really quite well. You would almost think that this exchange now ought to be over. A plus. The lawyer passed, not just the bar. He passed this theological bar exam with Jesus. But this first question, there may be something more going on in the story that we want to understand that's just beginning to tease our thinking, our minds, and our emotions. Because the lawyer is an expert in Scripture, after all. Now the interesting thing about what must I do to inherit eternal life, the question posed by the lawyer is that this notion of eternal life is a lot different than our notion today of eternal life. This is part of the something more going on in the story. See, when we think of eternal life, we think of what? We think of heaven and what happens in heaven? Everything good. We don't really know, but we have these caricatures in our minds, right? The cartoon caricatures when you're a child, you're floating on a cloud playing a harp, and that's supposed to be a good time. Boy, I can't wait, right? Kind of blows your mind a little bit. Okay, well, maybe that's a metaphor for something that's beyond comprehension. I can get that. But you know, to the lawyer back then, that's not at all what he had in mind when he asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's not a place that I go to after I die. It's not a physical locale for the expert in the law. It's how do I achieve, this is the more of the story that we have to understand initially, how do I achieve a divine-like quality of being in my life right now? That's what the lawyer is asking Jesus. He's not asking Jesus, how do I get to float in the clouds while playing a harp impeccably as Ryan leads the heavenly choir? I'm sure it would be fantastic. Eternal life then meant a divine quality of life in the here and in the now. In other words, eternity begins now. Eternity is getting up there, down here. It's the on earth as it is in heaven dynamic. And we pray it every week. We pray every week for this dynamic to occur. The on earth as it is in heaven. Getting the up there, down here, right now, and that's called eternal life. 
what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he answers correctly. Love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love my neighbor as myself. He answers this with great theology. He answers this in a very orthodox manner. You would think the conversation's over. Let's go to the next parable. But it's not. We go on in our story. So the first aspect of the more, of something more happening is eternal life isn't just some place I go to after I die. It's being mobilized as the hands and feet of Jesus Christ to bring eternity into the now, into the present, into the today. And that's what we all come here to explore. How might we do that in a significant and relative way? This story, by the time we're done this morning, I think is going to perhaps provoke at least and even shock at best. And that's just the first question. So the second question is a very simple question. Who is my neighbor? That's the second question we have to unpack so that we can get to the more of the something more going on here. Let's go back to our text. I need to go, there you go. Pick it up with this word, but. (laughs) But he, the lawyer, wanted to justify himself. There it is, he does have an agenda. The lawyer has an agenda. He answered right, now he wants to be justified in everything that he's always thought to be true and right and good and just. He's looking to seal the deal. But he wants to justify himself, so he asks Jesus, and who, Jesus, is my neighbor? And here's the best part of the story as we work our way through it. In reply, Jesus tells him a story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. I got the picture in my head. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. Okay, we've got a special victims unit coming on the scene now from New York. Now the interesting thing about this is we're not told a whole heck of a lot about the topography, but as the story goes on, it'll tell us that a, that a priest and a Levite walk by on the other side of the road. The something more of the something more that's going on is there really wasn't a road, it was a trail. It was a trail that was about five feet wide. And on one side of the trail was a big mountain going up, up, and on the other side of the trail was was literally a cliff going down. So there was no such thing as really walking by on the other side of the road. This was a blatant stepping over the person in harm. It's pretty quite, it's quite fascinating. So the priest, that'd be a guy like me, or Alfredo. Alfredo would never do this. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. There's no other side, friends. Alfredo, sorry, (laughs) stepped over the wounded and dying man 
I got places to go. I got 18, 18 things to do, and I'm talking on my cell phone. That would be me too. Priest, eh. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, a Levite, who's also an expert in the law, Levite was the one that could come up on the stage and move things around, responsible for putting the communion elements on the table. And he does the same thing. He sees the man, he walks right up to him, and he, he steps over and he keeps on going. He's headed to the market. His wife has a to-do list, and he's got to get home for that honeydew list. Third character in the story is a Samaritan. Here's where it gets fascinating. But, however, a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Now, a Samaritan is most hated by Jews. Hated, not just disliked, not just disdained, totally and completely hated. (laughs) He would be the pedophile equivalent in our cultural context today. Not that the Samaritan was a pedophile. But this Samaritan approaches the injured man in the middle of the trail and he does a most remarkable thing. He bandages up his arch enemy, a Jew. And he puts ointment on him. Puts him on his donkey and takes him to a hotel and pays for two days stay. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. (laughs) Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Great question. He asks of the lawyer, seeking to justify himself in his own eyes. The expert in the law replies, you ready? This is a kicker. It's the more of the something more. It's an absolute kicker, this next line. See, part of it is we've read these stories so many times, we kind of have become anesthetized to the deep meaning or the more of the something more. The expert in the law replies, oh, that's easy. I passed my bar first try. The one who had mercy on him. What? The one who had mercy on him? That's all he's got? Seriously? This lawyer hated this Samaritan so much, he can't even say the word Samaritan. So he softens his answer to be a little more politically correct and palatable To Jesus, he says, oh, well, certainly the one who showed mercy on him. And Jesus told him, and this is great, go and do likewise, which he probably won't do. (laughs) Truthfully, he probably won't do. His heart's totally in the wrong place. 
This is like the polar vortex of hatred and cold. So who is my neighbor? For real. The neighbor is not the one who shows mercy. Check, check, just stay with me for a minute. This is going to get really slant really fast. The neighbor is not the one who shows mercy. Nor is the neighbor anyone who is in need. Are you ready for the gospel this morning? Put your seatbelts on. I hope you're ready. Are you ready? You ready? I like come on, by the way. Here it is. This is gospel. This is the more of the something more. The neighbor is the person in your life right now who you hate the most. The neighbor in this story is the person in your life who you absolutely hate the most. And don't soften it like the lawyer did and refuse to say the word hate by saying, well, we've just had a disagreement. Or I'm really having a hard time with that group or that person. That's not what's happening in the text. (laughs) This is a tough text. The text is the more of the something more. The neighbor is who you hate the most. You know where I'm going now, right? Yikes. So who do you hate the most? Who do you hate the most in your life right now? I've never said this in church before. It's kind of paradoxical, isn't it? I got a few. Maybe you can help me with a couple. You know, how about, how about the in-laws who just hate all these Muslims coming into our country trying to ruin it? Ever heard that? Oh, yeah, right? It's not going to get any easier as I read through this. <laughs> but this is gospel good. This is transformational if we allow it to be. Somebody here might hate their spouse. Somebody here may hate their children. Some kids here may hate their parents. Somebody here may hate me. You may hate somebody in this room. I mean, I hope not. But I do know people are people. We got all kinds of priests and Levites running around, right? Are you challenged by this? Have you ever thought of a story like this? How about the folks that are always needy and they're not really willing to put their big boy cowboy boots on and pull themselves up by their bootstraps? Man, I just hate those people. I don't. I'm just saying. Some people hate the president. (laughs) 
And some people not only hate the president, but they hate the people that like the president. And some people hate the people that hate the president. There's a little bit of hate going on. Haters don't hate, but we do. How about, I mean, just stories go deep. I mean, I can keep drilling. How about LGBTQI? Do anybody hate those people? I don't. But see, the power of this story is not being nice to everybody because that's too sentimental. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is not sentimental. The gospel of Jesus Christ is transformational if we allow it to be. Now, we're pretty deep in the mud right now, right? We got to come out of this place. And I'm going to help. So if, the one, if your neighbor is the one that you hate the most in your life right now, here's the gospel. They're also the ones you're supposed to love most faithfully and fully according to the story. Whoever you hate the most right now, the gospel good news is that can be redeemed and transformed if you have the courage and the wherewithal to obey and begin to love them and pray for them and forgive and listen to their story and enter in. Why? Ready? Remember our first question? Because heaven's not a place that I go to and play harps on a cloud all day with Ryan leading the choir, which will be great. But for eternity? Is anybody that good? No, that's not heaven. Heaven is getting up there, down here, right now. That's why this type of activity is eternity on earth right here, right now. You tracking? Anybody mad at me? Anybody hate me? Not yet. Okay, yeah. You're, everybody else is lying. So let's get a little more transformational now so that this story actually has the ability to transform. Because if we don't allow these stories to go deep enough into our own heart, mind, soul, and spirit so that they can transform, it's just a Sunday school story that makes us feel good. And that's not the point. The point of being a follower of Jesus Christ is transformation. Right? Okay. On the back of your worship folder, you're going to see sermon notes in there. This is just between you and the Holy Spirit of God. Fill in the blank. Ready? The person that I hate the most in my life right now is... Fill it in. Please do not leave your... Worship folders on the, the row in front of you when you leave. <laughs> I will be collecting any of those. Searching for my name. <laughs> All right? The person that I hate the most in my life right now is, or people group, you, you fill it in. Now here's where the Holy Spirit's got to work, friends. This is, this is transformational theology. This is a life in Jesus Christ. This is, this is turn time. 
We're not going to stop there. I promise before God and my friends to love, pray for, and any other word you need in there. Forgive, extend grace to that person or people group every day because this is where eternity is found according to the text. Can you make that commitment? It's a tough one, isn't it? My neighbor is the person or group of people I hate. So now that you've done that, I want you to just sit back, push back. I want you to envision, almost done, I want you to envision the Holy Spirit of God entering into your life as you surrender your humanity in your humility. Thank you, Len. And let the truth of this text transform hatred to love, to grace, to forgiveness, and to purpose. And I want you to envision the Spirit of God entering into your life at the very top of your head. And allow it to drip deeper into your ears, into your heart, into your soul, all the way down to your core, your quads, the tips of your toes, so that love for the one that you hate can begin to soften your hard heart. Let light flow into the cracks and soften and wash the hardness away. Let grace flow down like water, down, 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 to the lowest places. And allow the sacramental work of our baptisms to wash us clean and do this mighty work of transformation in our whole life. There is no upside down, up there, down here life, or on earth as it is in heaven life without obedience to these stories. Simply put, there's no transformation without obedience. Who's my neighbor? The one I hate. What is eternal life? Transforming that sheer hatred into pure love because that's the way Jesus is. Go and do likewise. Go and do likewise.
What a perfect day to enter into this powerful text. A day when it's raining. We feel the drops on our head. Our imagination does not have to work very hard to allow those drops to change the way we think, feel, soften our hearts, our soul, our minds. It takes a lot of work to hate. It takes a little less work to surrender. Obedience is where transformation is found. Work that great work in our lives this day so that we ultimately can go and do likewise. May it be so. Come, Lord Jesus, come. In your strong and powerful name we all pray. Amen. We have a sending song called Relentless. Can't wait.